Good morning, Christ community. Would you please bow with me for a word of prayer? God of majesty and God of mercy, Lord, we give honor, glory, and praise to your awesome and holy name. Father, it's preaching time. And I do confess afresh to you my sins and my sinfulness. I pray even now you would forgive me, pardon and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, that I might proclaim your word with confidence and with clarity. Pray today, God, that through the preaching of your word, you would inform, inspire, impact, and therefore improve the lives of we, your people, to the end that you and you alone would get the glory is our prayer. In Jesus' name, thank God. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. How many of you came in to worship today to bless the name of Jesus? I am grateful to God to have this privilege to share with you the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So thankful to be connected with you this morning, to meet many of you and to hear your stories. I'm so grateful to my friend and brother, Pastor Derek Bukema, for making this connection. I'm excited to share the word with you. I'm even more excited that I see my beautiful wife has snuck in. I want to praise God for her, honor her today. Uh, there is a word from the Lord. I hear that you all are in a season of connection and transition. And I just want to challenge and encourage you in this season, as God is moving, as God is connecting, as God is transitioning you, to keep Jesus and Jesus alone first. I don't know if it's your custom, but I ask that you would indulge me for just a moment. Would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I want to call your attention to a passage that can be found in the New Testament text in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Scriptures. And before I begin reading, brothers and sisters, I want to remind each of us that this is the Word of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want to share a message with you today entitled, There's Nobody Like Him. Would you help me preach today? I know it might not be your custom, but would you just tell someone near you, there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. You may be seated. There's something about our sinfulness that causes us to reduce Jesus and refuse to recognize him for who he really is. We've seen it in church history. In 318 AD, Arius of Alexandria argued that Jesus was the highest created being, but not equal with God. Because we're always reducing Jesus, aren't we? To something less than what he truly is. We've seen it in world history. Years ago, the Grosset and Dunlap Publishing Company gathered a team of educators and historians to catalog history's 100 greatest events. And after months of research, they concluded that the most significant event in the history of the world was the discovery of America. Uh, that's an entirely different conversation. Something else came in second. Eleven different events tied for third place. And five events tied for fourth place. And one of those events that tied for fourth place was the life of Jesus of Nazareth. History's 100 greatest events. And Jesus came in fourth place. These examples highlight the reality that Jesus has and still is being rejected and reduced to less than sufficient and supreme by the world he made and even the church he saved. This is the same problem the Apostle Paul addresses in our text. Colossians was written to refute a, device, a divisive doctrine that suggested Jesus was significant, but not supreme nor sufficient. Important, but insufficient. The, the false teachers in Colossae hadn't completely denied Jesus, but they had dethroned Jesus. Their reduction of Jesus caused them to add to Jesus. And so to tear down these reductionistic and additional notions, Paul champions the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ above all, in all, and through all things. After greeting them, Paul thanks God for the Colossians in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1. And then 
he prays for them in verses 9 through 14. He concludes his prayer by celebrating their common salvation that was performed by God the Father through the work of God the Son. This prompts Paul to continue celebrating the identity and work of the Son in verses 15 through 20. These verses form a hymn of praise that celebrates Jesus' incomparability to everything and everyone. Paul sings about his supremacy to highlight his sufficiency. I want to tell you today, friends, we must reverence Christ as supreme and sufficient because he is the center of God's creative work and redemptive plan. Because there's nobody like Jesus, don't subtract from him. Don't add to him. Believe in him. Serve him. Praise him. My prayer is that by the end of this sermon, we'd all come to the same conclusion. And that is that there's nobody like Jesus. And that even if you've made that confession before or you haven't until today, we would all declare it from our hearts. I pray that God would help us not to give anything or anyone the place, the prominence, and the priority that only Jesus deserves. Here's the text message for the day. Here's my sermon in a sentence. If you don't get anything else, I say. Jesus deserves first place in every area of our lives because there's nobody like him. In light of this, there's a question I want to ask you today. And there's a question I want to ask the text. The question I have for you is, who or what needs to be dethroned in your life so that Jesus can have his rightful place? The question I ask the text is very simple. Why is there nobody like him. Text answers that question in two ways. First of all, there's nobody like him because Jesus made it all. Verses 15 through 17 say, He's Lord over everything he made by telling us he's God, he's creator, and he's sustainer. Verse 15 says he's God. You know, we represent God because we are made in the image of God. But Jesus alone reveals God because he is not made in the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God. God was invisible before Jesus was born 
into history. As God in flesh, Jesus showed up in time to show us who God was, who God is, and who God shall be for all eternity. As the one who perfectly reveals God, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn here communicates his status as superior to everything within the created order. Don't miss what Paul is saying. It does not suggest that he was created, but that he existed before creation and therefore has authority over creation. He is God, but he is also creator. In verse 16, there are three phrases that communicate Christ's creative work in crafting the universe and everything in it out of nothing. It says all things were created by him, through him, and for him. The book of Genesis tells us that God created everything out of nothing. But Paul narrows the lens of creation and says it was Christ who did all the work. Ever heard that old song by Billy Preston? Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. That's a true statement, but it's only true when it comes to us. It's not true when it comes to God. Because according to Paul, Jesus has so much creative power that something from nothing leaves everything. Because he created it all out of nothing. The fact that he created everything is highlighted Further in the text, when Paul says he created celestial things, that's things in heaven. He created terrestrial things, that's things on earth. He created the things you can see, that's visible. The things you can't see, that's invisible. The spiritual beings, thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, they were all created by him, through him, and for him. This means that Jesus alone is the primary, instrumental, and final cause of all creation. He should be first in line in every area of our lives because Jesus is the architect, Jesus is the engineer, and Jesus is the client of creation. Not only is he God and is he creator, He's also sustainer. The temporal declaration, he is before all things, once again reminds us of his pre-existence, not only before he lived in time, but before he created time itself. And in him all things hold together. Means that Jesus Christ himself is not just the person who started creation, he's the one who ensures its continuation. The universe 
is a cosmos and not a chaos because Jesus is holding everything together. Growing up in the church I was raised in, our, our young minds couldn't grasp the depth of this reality. So to help us understand it, they just taught us to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got my brothers and my sisters in his hands. He's got the sun and the rain, the moon and the stars, the wind and the clouds, the rivers and the mountains, the oceans and the seas. He's got you and he's got me. He's got everybody here and everybody there, everybody everywhere. He's got the whole world in his hands. Brothers and sisters, Jesus caused, continues, and controls creation because he made it all. And since he made it all, the question is, what will you do with him? I ask again, who or what needs to be dethroned in your life so that Jesus can have his proper place? What are you believing in? What are you depending on? Who are you affiliated with that's causing you to push Jesus to the margins of your life? You ought to give him first place today because there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him because he made it all. Finally, there's nobody like him because Jesus paid it all. Verses 18 through 20 say, he's Lord over everyone he saves by highlighting his authority, attributes, and activity. First, Paul highlights his authority in verse 18. He is the head, in the original language says, of his body, the church which suggests leadership and ownership. No theologian, no pastor, no politician, no political party, no denominational leader is the head over the church. Jesus alone is the governing authority of his body. And he is uniquely qualified to govern because he is the firstborn from among the dead. Firstborn is used again here in verse 18. In verse 15, it emphasizes status. But here in verse 18, it emphasizes sequence. In that day, the firstborn child from among many children would typically have power of attorney over the family's estate. Paul uses that imagery of firstborn to say that as the firstborn out from among the dead, Jesus has the power of attorney over death itself. Everybody else 
who was resurrected in Scripture died again, even those whom Jesus raised. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, but she died again. The widow of Nain's son was raised from the dead, but he died again. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he died again. Only Jesus testifies, I am he who was dead, but am alive again forevermore. Jesus is the first of many who will be raised. In other words, his resurrection proved his authority over death. And so his past resurrection enables our future resurrection. His victory over the grave empowers our victory over the grave. We don't have to fear death today because Jesus went down, but he already got up. He went in, but he came out of the grave. Uh, from time to time, I watched National Geographic, and I learned something interesting that there are some animals that live underground who dig their own holes. But there are other animals that live underground, but they don't make their own holes. They will take the hole of another animal. Yet, out of fear of becoming prey, what they won't do is go into a hole unless they see footprints leading out of a hole. And I'm trying to say to you today that because Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, his resurrection enables our resurrection. We don't have to fear death because Jesus has already left footprints leading out of the grave. Because Jesus has power over death, death is not a predator that we have to fear. Death is a defeated foe. The tomb of Jesus is the womb of the church. He is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he may become supreme. This suggests that after his resurrection, Jesus became something in time that he never was in eternity. He, before he became a man, died for our sins and rose victoriously because he had never died, Jesus was not yet supreme over those who've been raised, but now he is. Dr. Gardner Calvin Taylor once said that one of the purposes of the incarnation was so that God in Christ could become death eligible because before Jesus became a man in time, as God, he was overqualified to die. But he became death eligible, and Paul takes this a step further and suggests that Jesus didn't just become a man so that he would die, 
but so that he could overcome death on our behalf. The end result of his supremacy in everything, even death and resurrection. He governs and guarantees the resurrection of the church so that he would get more glory from the church. Paul celebrates his authority, but then Paul celebrates his attributes. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Fullness conveys the totality of divine power and attributes. The, the false teachers in Colossae claimed to offer fullness to the Colossians. They were teaching that you could have Christ and still not have the fullness of the life that God wanted you to have. And doesn't that sound like some of the stuff the world is selling the church today? That, oh, coming to church on Sunday is fine. Being, being in fellowship with other believers is fine. Giving your life to God is fine. But Jesus just isn't enough for you to live your best life. So to that heresy, Paul says... You can't get any fuller than Jesus because all the fullness of the Godhead is pleased to dwell in him. Another reason the church ought to give exclusive glory to Jesus is because everything that's in God is in him. God's fullness resides in him and the Father is pleased with him. This is temple terminology that suggests the same way God's glory came down and filled the tabernacle, God's glory now fills Jesus Christ. He is supreme because all of who God is is happy and at home in Jesus. We don't need another savior we don't need another source because of his attributes Jesus is more than enough lastly Paul celebrates his activity In verse 20 says the purpose of God's fullness dwelling in Christ was to actively reconcile all things to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Reconciliation describes the effect of Christ's sacrifice, not just for believers, but for all creation. But peace conveys the result of Christ's sacrifice in the lives of those who believe. Sin caused a breach between God and his good creation. But reconciliation is the restoration of that fellowship. At Calvary, Jesus fixed what had been fractured. The same way he made cosmos out of chaos through his 
out of nothing power, Paul now says that he also made peace through the shedding of his precious blood on the cross. The Colossians were familiar with what was called in that day the Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace. Back then, Rome had conquered the known world. The empire made peace by shedding its enemy's blood. Oh, but Paul says that's not how Jesus made peace. Jesus didn't make peace by shedding the blood of his enemies. Jesus made peace by shedding his own blood. That's the only way guilty sinners like you and me can have peace with the holy God is through the blood of his cross. On the cross, Jesus reached up and grabbed the hand of God. And he reached down and grabbed the hand of man. He put them together and bled on them and made peace. Is there anyone here today that's glad that it is by the blood of Jesus Christ that our sins have been washed away. Hallelujah, it is done. I believe in the Son. I am saved by the blood of the crucified one. His authority, his attributes, and his activity are proof that Jesus paid it all. And as members of his body, the question is, what will we do with Jesus? Does he have first place in what you do with your money, your time, and your energy? Does he have first place in your worship, in your work, or in your witness? Who or what in your life, I ask again, needs to be dethroned so that the Savior who lived, bled, died, and was raised for your sake can have his rightful place in your life? Spurgeon once said, We have a great need for Christ. And we have a great Christ for our need. Our sins are evidence that we have a great need for Christ. His sufficiency and supremacy are evidence that we have a great Christ for our needs. Because there's nobody like him, don't subtract from him. Don't Add to him. Believe in him. Serve him. Praise him. I don't know how you feel about it, but I made up my mind that I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to try Jesus, and I'm going to thank Jesus every time I get a chance. Because Jesus made it all, and Jesus paid it all. There's nobody like him. Nobody was born like him. Nobody lived like him. Nobody died like him. 
Nobody got up like him. Nobody ascended like him. And nobody's coming back like him. I declare today, brothers and sisters, you can search high and low. It doesn't matter where you go. You won't ever find anybody like the Lord. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's nobody like Jesus. This glorious truth should cause our souls to sing. Christ be exalted over all things. In heaven and earth, none is more worthy. Christ be exalted. Every knee bow down surrounding your throne to praise you alone. Christ be exalted. We run to drink from empty wells that long ago ran dry, when Jesus is the fountain who always satisfies. No one compares to you, O oh Lord. All earthly treasures fail. From dust to dust they will return. Our God alone prevails. No sacrifice, no greater love than Jesus on the tree to bear our curse and show his grace to set the sinner free. So Christ be exalted over all things in heaven and in earth. None is more worthy. Christ be exalted. Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of this glorious truth that there's nobody like Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sufficiency and supremacy in, through, and over all things. And God, as we have heard this grand text of Scripture. Please help us, God, not to hear this mountain of truth and not see how it calls us to live in life's valleys. Help us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit to remove anything and everything in our lives that are distracting us from the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. And may we surrender to him and be found doing his will for your glory, O oh God, and for our good is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.